This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rolls that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVGearGuy.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriter's Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Well, we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what? Everybody, what? On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, Chris Derrick is busy. He just texted us saying he's, uh, he's got something today, but he'll be back next week. But we got my girl, the original L Boogie. Yes. <laughs> Lisa Lisa Coat Jam. Yes. Darn you, Lauren Hill. No. <laughs> <laughs> Take my name back in the day. <laughs> yes. I'm excited. I know I was just telling you guys my book story, but I have a new book that's coming in from Barnes and Noble that I'm excited about. What is it? It's the it's the I don't know if you guys saw it, but it came out uh, I want to say like a couple of months ago, but I finally was able to like get a hold of it because it had sold out really fast. It's the Wakanda book that supposedly that Shuri had made, and uh, it has a little UV light that you can like read the secret pages and stuff, and it has all the fancy. It is so cute, and it <laughs> and it and it matches the art book that I bought like two years ago when the movie first came out with the conceptual art. So I'm buying all the like the Black Panther stuff for the yeah. fandom and stuff like that. So another friend of mine got hers in. I was like, wait, whatever happened to mine? I realized I hadn't ordered it. I thought I did. And I realized <laughs> I had went online and put it on my wish list because it had, had just sold out really fast. So some more came in. And so I was real excited. So I'm like a kid in a candy store. So for the next next week or so, I'm going to be checking the mailbox every day and looking for my little Wakanda Shuri book. And technically what it is, <laughs> it's, a, it's a book that has like supposedly Shuri. Once she realized um, what the Avengers were doing, the, the the concept behind the book is basically she created like she studied all the history 
of the Avengers and all the technology that the rest of the world was doing. And she compiled it all into like this history book. And it has like the little Wakanda beads on the side when you open it. And it has all the Avengers <laughs> stuff. So it's what? like really, it's really cute. And it's like one of those things I think is going to be a collector item. And the guy who put it together is a, a black comic book artist um, who's done a lot of stuff for um, MCU stuff. And so I just thought it's the most adorable thing. And usually I try not to get suckered into like buying all the fandom things, but I couldn't resist because it's Shuri and it's one of those things. And come on, the kid to me was like, there's a little UV light so I can sit in my room under the covers and put the little UV light and pretend like I'm reading real <laughs> Come on, the, the kid the kid in me just fell in love with it. And I'm like, oh. Y'all see what I gotta deal with? The nerdy black girl, the nerdy black girl. It's like, yes. So anyway, that, that's, that's my excitement for the week. Awesome, awesome. So <laughs> if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. So I was just saying last week we did an episode with um, three male emerging writers. This week we have four emerging female writers, all sisters looking all fine and pretty. I got the video. <laughs> I see y'all here. Have, have, have you noticed people when they get on their Zoom meetings or Skype meetings now, they really do get all gussied up? They do, they you do. know. I'm just sitting here with my little fruit juice and my jammies, <laughs> huddled up, sitting here, my cat's at the door, trying to get into the room because it hears me doing something and it gets jealous. And I'm like, look at everybody, got the hair did. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to step my Zoom game up. <laughs> get my Skype going. So, like I said, we did an episode with, with uh, some male emerging writers this week. I wanted to do some female emerging writers and get into their game and what's happening and answer any questions they have and talk about the industry and any like burning things that are bothering them right now. You know, all that shit. It's an interesting climate we're in. So with that, I'll start with you, Amber Brown. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell yes, Amber. a little bit, little bit about you because you've been on our show before. So Yeah. Hey guys. So um, I'm from New Jersey, this little place called East Orange, New Jersey. So, um, and I've been in LA. <laughs> <laughs> My cousin lives in New Jersey, so yes, go New Jersey. Yay. Um, so I've been in L.A. since last March, so like a year and a half. Um, I came out, like, and moved to Burbank, so I just figured, and I don't drive, so I was like, I got to get a job that's, like, in walking distance, basically, because I didn't want to pay Uber. So basically, I, like, lucked out. I found a job at this boutique talent agency that's, like, it's like a 30-minute walk, so it's perfect for me. And basically, I'm a junior agent there, so I'm, like, helping actors get like somebody yes. I mean, um and so that's like my real world day job but then i also currently hold on, hold on amber i go we ain't talked in that long i didn't even know you would be a junior agent now okay. see? <laughs> see, how, see how they just, do me chris just, just, just drop just sprinkled it in the conversation <laughs> like it wasn't nothing oh my you know it's just my day job you know so, but that's like my main day job. But then I'm also assisting Felicia Pride, and that's actually how I met Regina, who's gonna go soon. Um, and she's amazing. She's currently on Grey's Anatomy, and so mm -hmm. I assist her. Um, and yeah, and ever since then, like I'm just still working on like really polishing up my samples, getting everything ready. Been taking some meetings lately, but it's just you know nothing's like panned out per se. So just trying to. Awesome. awesome. I'm proud yes. of you. And say yes. how do you assist too? I see you. Okay. <laughs> so let's since you introduced her, won't you go ahead, Regina? Tell everybody your name and um, I think hey. you're on mute. There you go. Oh, you, okay, cool, yes. cool. Hey, my name is Regina Hoyles. Um, I'm an actor, writer, and filmmaker. 
Um, as Amber mentioned, I did meet her by way of Felicia. I just know Felicia, Felicia. just surrounds herself. Um, amazing. Mm-hmm. She's truly an auntie mentor figure for me. Um, but she's also like surrounding herself constantly with just like really powerful women. Hence Amber, like Loki, Amber is a legend. Like y'all don't know, but she's a legend. Oh. They will know. They will know. <laughs> One day, like I literally I it, get I notes it. from her on my scripts, and I'm like, I'm rewriting this entire thing. No, I, yes, but still. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've um, been out in LA for two years now. I was originally um, born and raised in the south suburbs of Chicago, um, so Midwest girl at heart. I need yes. to change my license plate. Um, but <laughs> it's been it's been really a whirlwind here. I've been acting, I would say, professionally the longest. And I've been doing that um, for maybe over 15 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been a creative, always been writing stories, but I didn't really technically start doing that professionally um, until 2018 when I started to um, create my own work, produce my own work. And so hence um, 2020, this is literally the first year I had uh, representation as a writer. I've always been repped as a performer, but never as a writer officially. So I've been putting in work doing my own thing always right, but now it's right. like you know stay ready so you don't have to what get ready um, <laughs> so that's been a new journey and amber has been very gracious in helping me even along that um but yeah i'm just out here ready to learn from you all let the wisdom pour in so thank you for having me so yeah awesome awesome let's jump to you chris yes oh okay what's up everybody i'm chris k i'm from the bay <laughs> Yes, and, yeah, uh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Did okay. y'all hear that? Okay, I'm honored. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you, Hilliard, and you, Lisa, and all you wonderful women. Um, I'm just excited to learn. Um, basically, I'm a musician and a writer who got tired of everybody telling her no. So I kind of created my own way, my own lane, started my own publishing and production company here in the Bay called Signature Inc. I publish books because I am an author. I do plays, which I've done out of the theaters in the area. So I act and do plays. Um, I sing, as I said, and I also write film. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. She's talented. Let me tell you, I'll I'll tell you a side note later on, but she and I were working on a little little TV show. uh, It was like two months ago, a month and a half ago, whatever. And um, (laughs) she was, she was, she was the star in the room. She was the star of the room. So I, I, I'm going to find something for you, Chris. Something's coming up, you know, for <laughs> sure. So with that, let's go to my girl, Eva Lome. What's up, girl? Uh, it's been a minute. I know, it has. <laughs> um, okay, Eva Lome. I um, was born in Nigeria, uh, raised in London, then spent 10 awful years in Texas. <laughs> That's where I became a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. Well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> is like they're international. And it's like, as soon as she's like, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, Nigeria, Nigeria. And she's like, London, I'm like, yes, London, Texas. Oh. <laughs> she's like, I lost my accent and everything. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I haven't been back. I try not to go back. But, um, but yeah, that's why I started writing. Um, then I went to undergrad in New York City and was pursuing like drama, acting, plays, which brought me to LA for a little bit, where I realized like all the roles that I wanted to play were not for black women. It was, I, I, you know, I wanted to do lead roles and they just didn't have them. So that really inspired me to go back to writing, got my master's from University of Miami, which is where my family lives and where I am right now. 
and moved out to LA in 2016. Met Hilliard from going to the WGA um, Black CBW meetings. Weren't you um, in the Lena's human grad little? Yeah, Lena came, because I was coming for a while, and then Lena came right. randomly to one um, meeting, and mm -hmm. then she was doing the macro fellowship um, for TV. But all I had was features. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually, with Hilliard, we had a little small room that Lena set up, because she's amazing, to workshop an idea, uh, one of my pilots. Um, and from that, like Hilliard and I always talked about it, but from that meeting, I realized that that pilot I had, it was kind of like a Homeland type pilot, mm -hmm. but it didn't really showcase me. Like I, I found myself mm -hmm. struggling. It was like- You were, you were, you were kind of trying to do something. I was trying yeah. to do something that I wasn't. So I went back because, you know, the deadline was still approaching. I went back and workshops an idea that I had for a, a feature that I actually wanted to turn into a pilot. Um, it's like a horror pilot, kind of like a get out yes! type, yes. <laughs> yes. Get out type uh, pilot. That's what I submitted to Macro, made it to second round. That got me on blacklist. Um, I got a six, though, which as some people know, means you're like a nobody on Blacklist. But my man, my current manager found me. He just found my script. He loved it. He's like, listen, this is just such a unique sample. You have a great voice. Let me send you out. Long story short, got me tons of meetings, including uh, Gersh, where they signed me right away. I have three agents at Gersh that are amazing. And then from there, they got me a feature writing job and just recently staffed on a new Netflix vampire show so yes. that's the story it's been it's been a journey hilliard knows it's been years and years and years and years yes. but see what i love about that is and this is is you you pivoted your life you know <clears throat> and what i found and lisa and i talked about this a lot is that the are the friends in our lives who we've seen succeed are the ones who realize at some point it's just like being an entrepreneur. This is this is about being an entrepreneur too. Too also, you know, we don't mm -hmm. think about that. We go, oh no, I'm a comedy writer. You don't realize actually that dark side of you is the thing that actually is what everybody loves. Yeah. You know, but you fight it sometimes. Yeah. You try to fit into the thing that you think you that that works the best for you, but it turns out like Lisa has totally appreciated the fact that she's this nerdy girl who loves all these weird, crazy, <laughs> you know, things that, you know, that it's most people life. don't know about. And that's when life. the doors open for you. And, and I talk about it all the time on the show. The doors didn't really open for me until I, until I realized it was important for me to lean into the thing that I didn't want people to know about. So if I don't want them mm -hmm. to know, I'm just spitballing that your parents are alcoholics or that you grew up a certain way and across the tracks or whatever. Those are the things people lean in on, but you don't want, you want to give people a whole nother, you know, persona about yourself. Like, oh, we grew up wealthy. We weren't even like that. Or whatever. It's like, no, bitch, lean into that hood shit <laughs> and then show them that you have both. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Uh, tell, That's great. Can, 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 you tell, can you tell us the name of the show or is it still under wraps? Oh, it's a uh, First Kill. Nice. Yeah. Nice. White vampire drama. Okay. That's right. Is it? Yeah. YA. Okay. Cool. Awesome. And see, that's the interesting thing because the thing that you wrote years ago was taking you this way. Yeah. But actually, you're more of a, it. Sounds like you're more of a genre writer. I'm totally directly mm -hmm. yeah. YA, and I was trying to write yeah procedural like grown. 
And, it's then, not me. and, and, and fate said no. <laughs> so that Regina, let me ask you. So it sounds like you haven't been writing that long, at least trying to get on TV shows and stuff. So you, it kind of happened kind of fast for you. So you over there, yeah. you over there with um. Why am I going blank on her name? I, I know her name every day. I'm not thinking about it. Um, <laughs> the showrunner. What showrunner? On on uh, Grace. Sorry. Oh, Felicia. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I was I was assisting um, Felicia when I first came here before Amber literally moved to LA, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was. She knew that I was a creator ultimately. Um, and so, like a lot of the work that I produced, like I was writing myself. But yeah, professionally, acting has been my bread and butter for the longest. That's what I primarily went to school for. I went to NYU, um, got to go to New York, and that was very expensive. Um, but yeah, I made, yeah. made me focus there. But I also, you know, took a minor in like screenwriting and actually minored in courses there. So I've been honing that craft more professionally as of recent, even more. But I've always been a writer. And I know like one thing that has always stood out to me in terms of the feedback I get. It's like, you're really good at um, dialogue. Like it just flows. And I think it's because you most of the time I'm saying exactly. the words. So I'm yeah. like, right. sometimes right. I get these right. scripts and I'm yeah. like, uh, I don't I don't think this would normally come out of my mouth right. or this right. character's mouth, but right. you know, right. each his own. And so that has served me well, definitely in the craft of writing as well as producing and directing, creating like these visions. So. But the professional territory is very much new to me. And I really feel like this year, even in COVID, I was I was drinking up so much knowledge. There were right. so many resources that I was just like, wow, didn't know this. Didn't know that there was help to get me to focus on structure within pilot writing because, you know, I can have an idea. But like I think so sporadically, like many crea creatives do, where I'm like, I don't yeah. know where it makes sense in terms of story. But there were so many different um, classes that I was taking and then just knowledge I was gaining from other writers like such as Amber you know and like working on pilots but I'm still very much curious about how do you navigate that world when it comes to pitching when it comes to like you know packaging or what does that look like and especially for myself because acting is still something I'm very actively still doing sometimes I'm still like figuring out what that balance is because I can't be a series regular on a show and also be staff um you know <laughs> <laughs> No. So, like, can you, can you imagine that schedule? Okay, I need to be in the writer's room, but I'm in makeup right now. So, <laughs> what do you do? Call me back. Yes, like that is a balance I, I'm very much learning. And so, for me, it's mostly looking like just literally having my stuff ready at all times. And again, I do have acting and a literary agent, so they're awesome. But I'm always just like polishing that writing side of me, kind of behind the scenes, whereas acting still feels more. Um, prevalent at times, but mm -hmm. I, I'm still curious about what I need to do and like what an early relationship um, looks like with a literary agent, like what yeah. that actually turns out to be, you know. It's it's, it's funny because <clears throat> um, for me, I mean, I come from being an actor too. Um, I was a triple threat and um, it happened for me kind of fast. I, it actually took about a year actually now thinking about it. I thought I, I, thought I was going to, I, I was acting since I was 12 years old. And I thought that I was going to act all of my life. And um, I sat down to write the script and it took me about a year to write it. And it was when I was literally recurring on two different shows at the same time. <clears throat> so yeah. I would be sitting in a trailer, I'd be at home, I'd be whatever. And I'd be writing the script and it took me like a year to write it. And, um, but I remember when I finished, 
I realized that the feeling that I had, this, this is how I judge what you should and shouldn't be doing. So I remember the first time I sat down to write this script, I wrote Fade In, Exterior London, 1964. And I went, I never want to act again. <laughs> what it was was, yes. this, is how, this is how I relate to feeling. Yes. And I know all of you guys can relate to this. That feeling you get when, for example, one of the shows I was on was this show called City of Angels with Blair Underwood and <clears throat> Vivica Fox and all of them. And I remember my first day on the set, um, I'm getting on my cop outfit and Blair, and, and then somebody knocks on the door, opened the door, and it's Blair Underwood. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> right? like, he's like, hey, what's up, my brother? Come on, let me show you around. Let me introduce you to everybody. And I was like, whoa, holy crap. You know what I mean? And he set the precedent of his set, right? Mm -hmm. And what he did for me was make me go, wow, that's the feeling I love. Well, when I sat down to write Fade In, Exterior London, 1964, was the same feeling I had when he opened the door and was like, let's go for a walk, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, wow, I don't have to wait. And I know you can relate to this, Regina. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wait 10 times a year to get this. I can get it every day. Yeah. And so the more I wrote, the more it consistently felt like that. And I was like, I never want to wait for that again. And That's I've been good. writing for 20 years now, and I still have it. You know, what I mean? that's mm. how I knew that that was right for me. So what I realized was all those years since I was 12 years old to the time I was 31, um, brother, 50 now, don't tell nobody. The <laughs> <laughs> vampire, that's all. No, no right. Now, Melanie. <laughs> right. So I realized for myself that all those years, all that did was make me a better writer. Like you said. I'm so much aware, more aware because I come from theater, because I've done movies, I've done TV shows. I know so much different things. I've toured with rappers and, you know, with 20,000 people. Into the, I've seen so many things that a lot mm. of people haven't seen. So mm. for me, um, it's easier for me. I hate to use that word easy when it comes to writing, so please don't take it in that light. But it was an easier transition. That's a better word. It was an easier mm. transition to writing because I already stood, understood it. I've already read hundreds of scripts by that time because I've been doing it and auditioning and all that for so mm. many years. And I've seen some of the best and some of the worst, you mm -hmm. know? So when I started writing, I started knowing what it was I wanted to see and do, you know? So yeah. that, that's my thing. I don't, I don't think that answers your question. Can I just ask for everybody, the things that you write. I mean, I know that we have a couple of genre writers and things like that, but I'm just curious to know what are the things that you're working on right now in terms of get a feel of the 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 focus of your writing, like the things that you are into, whether it be television, film, whether it be dramas, that kind of thing. Go ahead, Amber. Okay, so I write TV and film, and I'm interested in writing both professionally, um, but mainly I like to write female-driven stories. And for features, it, it always ends up being a thriller. So it could be psychological. Yes. Yeah, I just love a thriller, any type. Um, and for TV, sometimes it's that, but most times it's just a really character-driven story. That's And mm -hmm. I have mostly drama samples. And I don't know, I feel like the 30-minute drama is probably going to take the industry by storm a little bit. Oh, yeah. so. Those. I have several of them that are that are out there. It's it's coming. It's coming. And I, I feel like I want I always thought before even they started 
they start popping up, I'm like, I just am more captivated when it's 30 minutes. Like, it's just something about my brain, like, especially yes. in the yeah. I just want to, yeah. I just yeah. like it rapid. I like it to be boom, boom, boom. Oh my God, I'm going to watch the next episode. Sometimes right. the hour kind of nice for me. So yeah, I do have some hours, but I do have, I have two now, like 30 minutes. And yeah, I'm more on the drama side, definitely. Okay. Awesome. What about you, Chris? You know, I, <laughs> I like a lot of things. So, um, I write drama. I love drama. Love drama. I love suspense as well. Um, I like romance because, hey, everybody's a hopeless romantic at some point. Um, <laughs> but um, between the books and the film and the TV, um, I really like stories that um, where you could tell a story over multiple platforms. I love it to be able to just jump right out, out at you and where the audience can really become a part of the narrative. That is really big for me. So I'm working on a couple of pieces like that um, where the audience is very much a part of the story as it as it unfolds. Um, my first baby though is a short film um, and it's called Lovely Sunshine and it, it won Best Short Screenplay 2020 for the LA Motion Picture Festival. I'm, I'm jazzed nice. about that. Y'all, nice. I'm jazzed because it's nice. the first time I've ever submitted anything. So, you know, Love won't it. we do it? But anyway, um, <laughs> um, I'm excited about that. I'm really interested in telling stories for, um, when I say my people, women, but also black, black people where we can mm -hmm. see ourselves in, in film, in TV, um, even in literary, even in books, because there's so much content out there, but so little that include us. And so, right. you know, right. that's really big for me. With, with Lovely Sunshine, it's all about what's going on now in the world, which is the police brutality against unarmed Black people. For me, I have an autistic son. So my yeah. biggest fear is... Yeah. Mm, they see my son and they don't realize he's autistic. Mm -hmm. By the way, he's four. Praise, praise the name of the Lord. He's not there yet. <laughs> right, but, right, right, um, right. My fear is, you know, getting pulled over, having an, inter an encounter with a police officer and he's autistic and he's a black man, which is a double whammy. Let us be real. So when he makes a certain movement or he doesn't understand or he twists his fingers or he does whatever he does, I don't want them to see that as a threat. Number one, my skin mm -hmm. is not a threat to you. But number two, um, neither is his disability. And then let me say this, his disability does not make him disabled. So right, I want right. to make sure that right. um, I get that message out there as well, that you know there needs to be things in place, not just for us, but for also people who have uh, different types of needs because police shoot to kill first and right. if ask questions later, ask right. questions. You nobody got time to be on CNN and be nobody's hashtag. Right, 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 right. And I, I think more trip. people need to realize that a lot of people aren't neurotypical. So it's kind of like we got neurodiversity and people are going to have to learn how to, to deal with all kinds of people, you know, whose brains work differently and do things differently. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You know, it's mm -hmm. just that we, we have a certain group of people who aren't trained properly. And then they do these terrible things. And it seems like every other week there's some new hashtag. And then it's like, I don't even want to go outside now, you know? So. Right. That part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> How about you, Edelomi? I know, I know you and Regina are working on shows, so it's a little more difficult for you. But are you trying to find some time? Like, what's, what's going on? Yeah. Um, so outside of the show, I'm working on a feature that's like a psychological thriller, kind of like a Black Swan. Yeah. Yes. So yes. Say, yeah, that's good. Yes. The yes. Lead, I'm, I'm trying to get the lead to be black, but of course she's going to be white. That's fine. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh. I was like, I'm going to write it the same way either way. So there's that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know what? I got a pitch that hopefully 
is going to be a go soon. It's in business affairs. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I'm hoping that means it's going to be. That means a, they're trying to do the deal. They're right. trying to, right. Yeah. They're trying to put something together. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good thing. Yeah. Business affairs takes a long time. That's yeah. what everyone said. I'm like, yes. how long? Like months? Yeah. Yes. 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 For example, here's an example. Yeah. Okay. I was telling somebody, you, so here's how it works. So you sell a show, right? And no, no, mm-hmm. let's say you sell a movie, right? You sell a movie, and then what happens is they commence. So they commence to give you your first check. Now, it <laughs> used to be... It used to be that I you have. I'm, la- three I'm, steps. I'm laughing because I just I just remember it was like years ago when we started. Yes, it was exactly. like I'm so, so we, I don't get my money when what? <laughs> so you get this commencement check, which is the okay. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of times, what happens with with writers who don't know, the producer will call you and be like, "Hey, you haven't started the script yet, or have you started it?" And what they don't know is you don't start until you get your commencement check. Hmm. So writers will start on this thing because they spoke to the producer thinking that it's okay, you know? But Business Affairs hasn't cleared. You still haven't gotten your commencement check. So you don't start till it's time. Yes. But a lot of people don't know to ask for that. Right. So sometimes they kind of go around your agent or your manager and you know, because sometimes you, you, your agents and your reps want you to have a relationship with your producers who you develop the project with. So right. sometimes you're talking to them and not talking to your agent. Mm-hmm. What I do is, because I've learned, mm-hmm. now every time I reach out to them or they reach mm-hmm. out to me, I just go, hey, I spoke to them today and we talked about this. Okay. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and it just keeps them in the loop. And, and if, they, if they email me, I always CC my manager or agent back and go, Oh, and by the way, and I let them know I'm not like just doing it like, you know, without their them knowing. I'll say, for example, at the bottom, P.S. I tagged, you know, Rashidi in this, you know, or I tagged my agent at UTA, whatever the thing is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just so that they know what's up, just to keep them in the loop, okay. especially if it's something important, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so for example, so like for you hear about somebody sold the script for $150,000, it's going to be nine months to a year for they get that money. And Ooh. here's why. Crazy. You might get the commencement check, which could be whatever amount step, that you all agree to. Step one, <laughs> that first step. <laughs> but now you don't get anything until you turn in the script four months right. later. Right. Right. So then you might get another check and mm-hmm. then you get the rewrite. Mm-hmm. So then you get paid for that. That takes another month or three weeks right. or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you guys agree to. It. Mm-hmm. You know? So you could see how much time goes by. And then what happens nine times out of 10, we were talking about this on last week's episode. Somebody's like, how come this big writer wrote like 45, you know, um, um, versions of this particular script? And I was like, most of those aren't complete rewrites, as we all know. You know, Mm -hmm. you might have version two, version six, version whatever, but it might just be little things you colored. You might have changed a character's name, you know, whatever the thing is. So sometimes those aren't necessarily big. But when you're, develop, de- when you're dealing with a development producer, some of them, actually most of them, <laughs> will be like, hey, this is wonderful. Um, you know, it would be really help me. Is it- <laughs> oh, yeah. Trust me. Ain't that right, Lisa? You know what I'm yes. talking about. I have been through there, and it's like, Lord. Uh-huh. And go back to the studio is if you would just do like one more pass where you do this thing. Remember we talked about that thing? 
and then, and then then we could sell it, mm-hmm. right? And then you go back, mm-hmm. go okay, I could probably do that in like a week or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. So you go back and spend time doing it, turn it into said development producer, and then they come, they read it, they go, yeah, I like that. Yeah, you're almost there. We got one more thing to do, mm-hmm. and you find yourself in this. That's why they call it development hell. Development hell. Just keep yeah. turning it over, keep turning it over, and then they go, you know. I just saw this movie. I had a whole new idea for a whole nother thing we could do. Instead of it being the set piece at the big blah, 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 what if it was a skating rink? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's like shit like that. And then you have to completely retwist and do. So, so that check that you got has lingered on for four more versions. Oh, of my God. You're giving me memories of driving to Studio City remember? and dreading, dreading, driving and like, all right, here we go. Right. Here we go. <laughs> Your job is to decide for yourself: Do you want to be that pawn or not? Right. You know. And yeah. So, because um, you, it, it's easy, believe mm-hmm. me, because they make it feel like all I need is this little thing from you. Mm-hmm. They already want it. And mm-hmm. the lesson that I've learned is what I've learned is they came up with this idea, thought they could sell it to said network or studio or whatever, and. And 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 brought you in to write this thing, and and the studio or network never asked for it anyway. They just thought if they had the script, they mm. could sell it. They don't tell you some things like that sometimes. It's a funny, weird. Now this is this is this is like more of an indie, you know, producer by the way, you know, who brings you in to write a project. And um, but it happens. I mean, so many. T- I'm I'm in it now with one of the biggest producers in town. He literally, we have a meeting the other day on Zoom. Me and the whole team. And he went, so me and one of the other producers were talking. We think we need another element involved. We think we need to bring it more to America. And I was like, this is nice. about Jamaica. What are you okay. talking about? You serious? Yeah. And he's like, I think we need, we're missing that element of America. And I'm like, in season two, the CIA comes in and... That's America. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, but can we bring them in sooner? I was like, if no. it's based off of what happened, <laughs> we're in 1962. Okay. They don't come until the mid 60s. Yes. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And, that, and that's and that's when you have to learn how to use that writer protocol and say, you know what? That's an interesting idea. I had to learn that the hard way, people. Well, I had to remind then, him. Yes, because in the beginning I'd be the one like, no, I ain't doing that, and, and then and then and then shit falls through, and I go back to OBS like, so what did I do wrong? Like, well, you were honest, which you should have. What you should have had is said that was interesting. I will, you know what? That's an interesting idea. I will about think that. about that. <laughs> Once I mastered that, it was like, okay, I can maneuver a little bit because a lot of times, like as we say, Hilliard, all the time, a lot of times people just want to put their own stink on it. Mm-hmm. And when you've gone through a real development hell, like you know, Hilliard, you've gone through it too, where it's like you've written something so many times for so many different people. In fact, you've written it so many times that you actually wrote it back to the original thing that you wrote when you first sold it to them in the oh, first yeah. place to get options, where you're just like, I am so done with this. I'm ready for this option to be over. I don't want to deal with it. I don't even care. I don't even want to be made anymore. I don't want nothing to do with this anymore. When you get to that point and you just have to learn certain, you know, certain, just certain skills and protocols that over time you learn, just learn those key words, the lingo, the lingo, the lingo to, yeah. you know, instead of saying, hell no, I ain't doing that shit to be like, you know what, that is an interesting take. I will think about that. 
Yeah. Chris, you have something? Right. Keep it moving. Yeah. Um, actually, I have a question for actually anybody who wants to answer it. So my question is, during your careers and those, you know, you wonderful ladies that are doing some amazing things right now, what have you perceived as like a mistake that you made? You thought you were making a mistake, but it ended up being like a total blessing in disguise. I'm just curious. Now that we're talking about all these longevity. I, I, I will say stuff. this. I will say this for myself my own gut, because I will say this a couple of times. In the early days when I first started out, mm -hmm. and Hillier and everybody could witness this, uh, you can tell me it's no lie. There were projects that I pitched to people that I knew that all you got to do is sell it. It'll be fine. It'll get made. No big deal. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, no, we're not sure. And then five, six, seven years go by. And then you see the exact idea that you had actually get made mm. and I'll give you two, I'll give you two examples the first one my Griselda Blanco script yep. there's been two movies that have been made about Griselda Blanco when the cocaine cowboys documentary came out and I saw it in Hollywood at the Arclight and I was sitting there at midnight screening and I said I don't care about these dudes I'm gonna write about this heifer right here <laughs> I will go to Columbia like I was in touch with the guy who arrested her I have my passport. I was going to Columbia when she was still alive before she got killed. Like, if they would have sent me down there, I would have had the best movie ever. But then she got <laughs> she got taken out, right. like, five years afterwards. And then it was like, everybody's like, well, we don't know. We don't think it's a female. Can we make it J-Lo? Can we get a white woman? Can we do this? And finally, I just said, I don't give a shit about this product. Obviously, you guys are not ready for it. And then to see um, Catherine, what's it, Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yep did a version of it, and there was another one that actually became like a TV series. And I had to sit with that and think, sometimes I'm ahead of myself. Another example was, um, it's actually on Netflix right now. And oh. it's, um, oh, what's the name of it? It's the one, it's about um, this preacher who actually was from San Diego originally, and he had this big mega church, and he had the big <sighs> conversion when he realized that hell didn't exist, and it became like this big thing. And I was really interested in writing about the black mega church in the terms of black African spirituality about this particular person. I remember I pitched it like 15 years ago mm. and yeah, people were like, Oh, we're not sure. Anybody want to see that? And literally I was scrolling through Netflix and it was like, Oh, let me see what this movie is. Cause I love me some Lakeith Stanfield. Mm -hmm. and oh, literally I looked at the film that. and I said, God damn it. They went ahead and did the biopic of the guy that yeah. I pitched 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. So one yeah. of the things that, and this is, and this is like, and these are two different projects. And I, there's a couple of more that I just came out with, uh, with pitching. And then I see the same kind of concept come out. So mm -hmm. one of the things that you have to deal with as a writer is sometimes you are ahead of your own time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to stick with your own conventions and try to find the right people that will get that project made. Because there's nothing more disheartening and <laughs> knowing that you know that what you just pitched. And I've been in rooms like, blah, 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 right? And I'm like, I just know, like, it could be made. This could happen. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, we're not sure. Uh, and you know Time, how it is. Timing is Timing. Yeah. And not only that, and people are fearful. Like, people in Hollywood are afraid. Like, they wear the go with something that is name brand that can be a rehash, something remade, something that's been done before, a sequel, mm -hmm. something. They like to be safe. My problem is safe projects. Mm -hmm. And I had to come to terms with myself and saying mm -hmm. that my projects are black centered and I'm just not willing to compromise on certain things. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is projects that didn't have anything to do with particularly about black people, but projects that I felt like, my God, and I've pitched the hell out of them, gotten to meetings, 
get close to like, maybe they want to do it and then get that stab in the heart. And then you see that same idea manifest years later mm-hmm. and you realize, ah, well, I got to find somebody who believes. Ah. Let me, so let me I, jump I, in. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. But I've talked about this a couple times on the show before. This is really important. So I used to hang out at the coffee shop in West Hollywood. I've talked about this on the show before. And Mm -hmm. um, it would be me. It would be like the whole gay mafia at this one place. (laughs) One of them was Lance Black who wrote Milk, right? Okay. Won the Oscar for Milk. And when he was writing Milk, every weekend or every like couple months every couple weeks every month he would go away and he'd come back like, where were you he was like oh i was in san francisco working on milk and then it finally hit me i was like milk i was like isn't there like two other scripts out right now about milk and he said it like this he was like yeah but nobody's gonna do it like i'm gonna do it Mm. right right Mm -hmm. and then he paused and he was like hillard you gotta be first right right Mm. right and i was like uh and the lesson in that mm. is if you have some, a project that's burning you to write, I say write it. Now, unless it's like some part two to some IP movie that you like, oh, I have a great idea for that movie that'll be a great part two. Not that right. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But right. Even, it could be some, you know, somebody who died years ago, some great story that you, you have a great perspective on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... What I've found, as Pamela, I'm sorry, as um, Lisa knows, I've written several projects like this. My, my Tulsa script, now there's like mm-hmm. 12 Tulsa scripts. You know right. what I mean? Um, but the script, uh, my Sylvester script about the disco singer, all these things I've done that would have done for, what they've done for me is this. Sometimes the scripts you write will never be produced. They will be a sample for you. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Perfect example, my Sylvester script, which is option every other year for the last seven, eight years. Am I right, Pamela? I keep calling you Pamela. I'm so used to talking to my producer partner. Am I right, Lisa? Yes. Yeah. And so... Every, every seven, year I get pissed. Years. Every year I get pissed. Seven, eight years. Yeah. And, and, but it's probably gotten me five jobs mm-hmm. as a sample. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Because it has themes in it to speak to different things in other people's right. movies that they right. want. Right. Right? Even my Tulsa script has gotten me work because people go, wow, this guy can write some amazing visuals. You know what I mean? Maybe we could bring him in to do this action thing. Right. Completely different thing. Right. But they can sense by the writing that you could do something else. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned that I've taken pressure off myself mm-hmm. from worrying about and I know I'm not answering your full question, Chris, forgive me, but, yeah, I'm not, but I, it took the pressure off of myself worrying about not writing the thing I wanted to write. Right, mm-hmm. right. Instead, right. I write the thing and I take the pressure off selling it. Right. Now I go, I, now I got a strong sample in this thing. Right. Go ahead. Right. I was just going to say that in terms of like when, when we were dealing with your tall script, because you got so many amazing scripts and every year I get pissed and I've learned to control my anger. <laughs> and I always, t- I always tell myself, you know what? Sometimes we're just going to have to be like Prince and just be ahead of our times until everybody <laughs> catches up. Sometimes we got to be like Sylvester and just wait till everybody ca- Sometimes we got to be like Grace Jones and just wait till other people catch up to where we are. Come on. One of the things, I, one of the things I, I, I do have to like reiterate for people to get, it's, it's for Hillier, especially you're talking about those projects, is having the conviction to use those samples 
but also know that eventually, and this is what I have to learn the hard way, eventually those certain projects will get made. Mm-hmm. You just have to, it's kind of like when you're in the church, when they say, you know, it might look dark, but the dawn is going to come. The light is going to come. You know, and it's like, I had to learn so many times where I would see just other of our friends who are great writers and I read their scripts and I'd be like, oh, I should make this right away. And then what would happen is our friends would either just get disheartened and just give up, be like, oh, whatever. And then I'd see a different project come through. And one of the things I had to learn is, especially when you're making stories that are very specific to like black culture, Mm -hmm. there are so many ways to tell the same story and we need all those stories. Because for a while there, it seemed like Hillary, when your, your Tulsa script was coming out and we were, you know, you were chopping in, it was getting optioned and so many things were happening, getting close to it. And then I'd see things like, oh God, now they're doing it on yeah. HBO. They're bringing the Tulsa thing. Oh God, they're doing it on this other thing. Oh God, they're bringing in Lovecraft. You know, it's like, but I had to relax him with it. It's like, there's only one way that you can tell a particular story. Yep. And these stories are big and massive. And one telling of it is not enough in certain things. Exactly. And once, and once you free yourself from that, like the mm-hmm. whole thing, like like the, the project I was talking about, the preacher Carlton Pearson, uh, the, the, the movie is called Come Sunday. So if you want to look at it on okay. uh, Netflix, it's called Come Sunday. And basically, Chiwetel Ejiofor is in it. And basically, this is, a, this is a story I did, I pitched years ago, and it was based on a NPR. <laughs> I was driving in LA, getting mad. Like, I got to find something that's interesting that strikes me. And at the time, I was attending... Um, Oh, what church was I attending? It's the big, the big one, um, Agape in LA, in Culver City. And Michael Beckwith is one of those preachers that he's so unique and he's so different. And then I remember I was leaving Agape and this national public radio story came on about Carlton Pearson, who's like this big mega church preacher who had an epiphany. And when he had this epiphany, he lost his mega church. And not only did he have a mega church, mm. but he had. He had like a mega church, but it was like the mega church with a lot of white members too. Mm. And the epiphany he had was there was no such thing as hell. Hell is something that we create on earth. He lost so many people from Uh his church. And basically this man had to start all over again. So right now I'm just sitting here in the car. I'm literally, I was going, listen, 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 I was driving to Simply Wholesome. In the hood, down the street from my house. <laughs> I was going to get my chicken. I just came from Agape. I got out early. You know, I got the afternoon because sometimes you don't get there early enough. Everybody takes up all the stuff and you got to wait. Mm-hmm. I went to Simply Holston right on Slauson. I lived on 48th and Crenshaw. I got my tacos. I was listening to this night. And I remember I was sitting at the stoplight and I had to pull over. And where I pulled over is where the Nation of Islam, right there, they have like the place that they sell all the oils. Right there. Right there. <laughs> Right there on Crenshaw 48th, y'all. If you're in LA, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where I get my incense, my oils, the nation Islam says. And I sat in the parking lot and I drove in and I parked and I listened to this national radio show. And I think it was Ira Glass might have been talking about. I think it was this American Life. And the story was so compelling. And I thought, where have we seen a story about a black pastor who's from my hometown who created this mega church? And not only a mega church, but a mega church with white people. And he had like one of the biggest, and then God spoke to him one day and just said, there is no such thing as hell. And to watch him have to recreate his life. I had never seen a story like that before. And I thought, I'm going to write this. And I remember a production company was looking for bios. And I remember I pitched the hell out of this thing. 
But of course, that was not the story they wanted. They were more interested in the the horror script that I had. And then later on, another production company is interested in my Griselda. That's why you got to have more than one pitch when you go mm-hmm. in. Because if they're like, ah, what else you got? And luckily, I could razzle-dazzle and had some other stuff. But I remember just being so incensed. But I felt vindicated, like literally, when I looked on on Netflix. I'm like, somebody got it. I need to understand that there's so many great stories that need to be told and that I need to hold on to these stories and not feel like just because other people are doing them, not to lose heart or feel like, oh, oh somebody else is doing it. Really right. I can't do it now. No, go ahead. Okay. Just, just know this. When you see an announcement in Deadline and you go, damn, they're doing that movie or that TV show that I wanted to do. Just know this. Seven times out of ten, they, they just announced it. it. Yeah. They never mm. did it. Right. It mm. never happened. Right. Mm. right. You know what I mean? All right. things fall apart. You know what I mean? Whatever. Right. So right. that's what I've, that's been the lesson that I've learned. Most right. people go, oh, they already came out with that movie. Right. Oh, they already, they already came out with that thing. Right. Uh, here's the lesson that I've learned also is, for example, Pamela and I, my producing partner and I, we go on these pitch meetings at least five times a week. <clears throat> and some person will love, will love our point of view and be like, wow, you guys would be really great for this thing. You know, we have this project where we want to do and blah, 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 and we'll kind of pitch it back to them in a different way. And they'll be like, wow, that's really, that's really fascinating. And I will keep giving them more things that they could do to make it good. When we leave, Pelham's like, why did you give them all that information? I said, For free! I said, because it's about <laughs> execution. You're right. Mm. I'm not worried about another writer writing it. Right. It's they can't execute the voice. way I would do it. Right. Every one of us are going to execute different. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And so right. I'm, never, I'm never afraid to give somebody my thoughts or notes right. because the way I would write it would be different than them. Right. The, and way, I would, people, the way I would right. transition, the way I would introduce a character, whatever the things right. are. Right. So, so that's why I'm not worried. Right. Know? And most people's yeah. first reaction is, oh, my God, you're giving them stuff. Oh, don't give them that stuff. Where it's like, mm-hmm. no, your voice is so unique and your take is so unique that it doesn't matter. Like, I'm pretty sure that you can do several different stories about Carlton Pearson that has to do with revelation and, and churches and mega, there's so many, like there's green, green leaf, you know, mm-hmm. you could say green leaf is kind of like that similar thing. Yep. So the thing that I had to learn, like I said, is even if you hear announcements for certain shows or certain things that are coming out, like literally I just saw the thing with, um, what was it? Um, Jamie Foxx. He has a new thing that's coming out. That sounds really interesting where he's like, by day he's like this, but at night he's fighting vampires. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the shit I would watch. That's the kind of stuff. Right. And and your first thought is, ah, oh, there's so many different vampire stuff. But but no, here's a unique take. When have you seen a black father mm-hmm. <laughs> right. who's raising a daughter with a black viewpoint and a black take, and it's something different? A descendant of Van Helsing. Okay, the descendant <laughs> of the. You know what I mean? So there's so many different ways. Van Johnson. Van Johnson. Yeah, Van Johnson. There's so many ways you can put your own unique spin on something. And like you said, that comes over time because trust me. There's been many times where you're working on something and then Variety makes an announcement and you're like, oh no, that sounds like what I'm doing. And literally, it's just the announcement. They probably don't even have any attachments or they're just putting it out there to get drum up kind of stuff. And you just have to understand that your unique voice and take, you know, especially now that I'm seeing so many people with the success of, of, of Lovecraft Country and so many people talking about black horror, bad hair just came out on Hulu and people are like, oh, there's so many different stuff. And people are worried about, oh, it might get oversaturated. What if I? No, your unique take, your unique voice, 
you bring something special to that project. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to be, or, or don't give up on that thing that you're working on because your take might be the take. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Chris, Chris had something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, let me apologize first, guys. I came with five questions that have been burning in my soul. <laughs> no, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you, you. No, so um, I'm going to kind of put put uh, two of them together. And I really, if it's okay, uh, Hilliard and, and Lisa, let me know if it's cool for me to ask Regina and Amber. And Wait, please, no, I, I, don't forget, I don't say your name right. Um, Itolome? Perfect. Say it? Yeah, yeah. Hey. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my question to you ladies is, okay, so what do you think contributes to the lack of diversity in the industry for black women? And what message do you think is conveyed when there is a diversity gap in Hollywood? And part two would be, so, and then after you answered that, what should the film or TV industry be doing for screenwriters, in your opinion, that it isn't doing? Because yeah. you guys are where you are in the industry. Um, I don't say up and coming because y'all... Yes, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a very strong, I have a very strong opinion about it. I'm gonna say it because we talk about it in our say meeting. It. Time. Come on. Come on. I feel like it's a vicious cycle. I feel like like the writer's room I'm in right now, I'm very comfortable saying that I am the weakest link because I am the only new staffed writer, but that's because they all have years and years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, we have a very diverse room. There are people of color. Our showrunner is a woman of color. And a big reason I got hired is because she is a woman of color and was like, I need to help this girl. Mm-hmm. Because there's a whole story behind it. I can't get into it. But basically, the system is stacked against us because it's not always about just that we're black and we're women. It's that we don't have the experience. But if we keep getting shut out, yes. we never get that experience and we're always behind. And it's that vicious circle. Yeah. Exactly. So to me, that's been the hardest part, and I feel it too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, but I definitely am trying to keep up, and I'm learning a lot. The learning curve is huge. Thank God for this experience. But I see now why it's so hard for us to break in because we're competing with people who have all this experience, all this talent that has been cultivated. Because our raw talent, unfortunately, is not enough. It doesn't stack up. Can I say really quick, Hilliard? We have something at the CBW, the first 10 pages workshop with um, Disney. It was it was a diversity group at Disney that gave us this, this um, workshop, this hands-on workshop to workshop the first 10 pages of our samples. It was and DNA, I, Lisa. It was DNA, DMA, who yeah. I am in touch yes. with because that is the reason my sample is so strong. I didn't realize why people were reading my sample and weren't responding to it. She comes from years and years of experience in the studio. She's one of the best. She, she does not play. She's incredible. And as soon as I took all her advice, that's how I got all these meetings. That's how I, you know, potentially being developed. But that came from her professional expertise, literally holding my hand to make my sample be able to compete in this wide pool of right. all this right. white, predominantly white talent. Right, so. right. And then going back and teaching everybody else. Dean, she's bad. Yes. She's badass. Yes. Well, look, Amber, yes. you have something? Yeah, I feel like, okay, people, when I say people, white people, and especially white men, they love to make this industry out to be a meritocracy. Because they know they're mediocre. They know they wouldn't have gotten here <laughs> out the help that they got here. So usually, okay, it could be nepotism. It could be oh, you were my uncle's best friend in high school, blah, blah, blah. So, she froze. 
Oh, no. Oh, did she freeze? Oh, no. Come back, Amber. She was killing the game. She was killing the game. They hurt her. 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 If she jumps back in, let's move to you, Regina, just so we keep it moving. For sure. No, I like. I feel like in the same vein as Amber, there's a whole lot of gatekeeping. There's a whole lot of access that our people historically just have not had. And so when I'm filming my indie stuff and when I'm doing things and I'm seeing all the talent like that surrounds me, but they genuinely don't have the education, like the work education and what they need, what they need to do, you know, to go to the next level. It's so upsetting because we're seeing other people take the reins of our stories. And it's so mm -hmm. frustrating. I can say as an actor, I have passed on a few scripts where I'm like, this, these white men in their 50s trying to write for urban black folk in um, their scenes. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, I'm literally reading the scripts like, I wouldn't do this. You know, I would be in jail. My mama would immediately like get written out. Okay. You know? Wait, wait, you brought your mama into it. I am confusion. And so I'm just thinking about more so what's happening behind the scenes and like for the writers for showrunners i think that representation is so crucial and you know post mid whatever you want to call it revolution that we endured this year we you know we're seeing a lot of truth now as far as who was really about it when they were yes. posting black squares yes. um and we are really seeing who's about that action i'm definitely i'm um, proud to say i feel like i'm have a team is very aware of that they're constantly having uncomfortable conversations but necessary ones and they're willing to talk to, with me saying like hey regina i hate that we can't change this overnight but we're going to do stuff that aligns with what you feel um should be out there how you want to tell your stories you know i have a little say i'm not out here just saying yes just because anymore right. because i'm like listen tomorrow could be it for all of us and right. i would just mm -hmm. like to know that i'm going out saying yes to my people and who i truly feel you yeah. know is is us and so I think it's just so, so eye-opening and just available there and what people understand when it comes to um, incorporating diversity into projects. Because I feel like now, being that I've seen both sides of it, you're seeing an inclusion of diverse characters, mm -hmm. right? But right, then right. it's coming from non-diverse, read also white um, <laughs> people and it's like, oh no no, um, Beth, you needed to do a rewrite of this. Actually, <laughs> um, you can't, you can't just switch, you can't just switch it out and say like, oh look, why, why can't this be any ethnicity? Let's just make it any ethnicity. No, sweetie, you wrote it for a white woman, and it reads that very well. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, uh -huh. and so like things like that, we need to get into. The root. Oh, hey, Amber. Hey, Amber. I'm wrapping up. Hey, girl, hey. <laughs> <laughs> like you were on a roll, too. We lost you. Go ahead. Get it in. Get it in. We just really need to continue to work for um, more representation behind the screens and higher up positions. You know, writers' rooms are becoming more inclusive, I feel, but even the showrunners, I think we've seen Twitter's been really wild uh, this year, but Colin just folks out, I feel like, in terms of the higher up representation mm -hmm. and who's leading these rooms, who's leading the pack. And who's right. in the executive position? So I feel like that is huge for us. So Amber, I'm gonna let you finish because you was on a roll and I was really into it. I know it. you were just getting it. Amber, get it. Pick up and kill it and kill it. Amber, yes. Start with the beginning because you froze at the beginning. We need to hear it. Okay, well, me, I'm gonna start off by um, saying it this way. So my first meeting I ever had out here was with this white guy who was a manager, or who probably is. He still is a manager for like really big company, whatever, and. We had this meeting and there was this one line that he says, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm thinking, and I knew it was downhill from there. So he goes, he's like, you know, 
he's basically saying like, I was talking about getting in a writer's room and like, that's what I want. He's like, cause you know, you're like, you're like so cool. You're like, you're like, I don't know. I just kept saying this cool stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not the coolest person. And I like, <laughs> like, oh, cause he kept saying like this. Cause I told him I'm from the hood. I'm from East Orange, New Jersey. It's like a really rough life. Like to get out of there is you got out of there, whatever. And he took that as, I don't know, like, you're this, like, he basically wanted to put me in this box of you're this person and I can sell you like this, which I understand a manager wants to do that, but he wasn't seeing who I was. He was seeing right. what he could put me into. So I I think that's kind of what you were saying, Gina, because I just got on the tail end of it, but like higher ups, we also need the managers and the agents to be black, to be people of color. Mm -hmm. They aren't going to do that, hopefully. Um, they can see <laughs> that we're, well, you know, we have all these other layers. We're not this because they do it in acting. Obviously, they do it. They put you. Oh, you're gonna be. If you're a Latina girl, you're gonna be the maid or whatever, or you're gonna be the thug's girlfriend, whatever. Black people, okay, you're a sassy black girl or whatever. You're the Jezebel, whatever that weird thing. It's like they just want to put you into these categories. So, yeah. first of all, yeah, we need to get the agents and managers. They need to hire people, and they need to do it. A little side note: same thing with book publishing. I mean, book publishing might be even worse with this, but until they get black agents, until they get black editors, it's just going to be... Right, the same old, same old. But what I was saying before is like, so I don't know if you guys have read this book or anyone has read this book called White Fragility. It's basically like yeah. a white woman writing a book yeah, for white people yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. talk to them about racism and how it's real and blah, blah, blah. And she basically, like in the very beginning, she says something like, white kids like their upbringing something you need to know about their upbringing is they are brought up to think that they are special and mm -hmm. they're pretty much because they are white and it says by kindergarten that's when obviously you're fully developed as like a kid or whatever your brain is starting to develop and that by that age it's already cemented in their head you're special mm -hmm. and you're better than everyone else so mm. but thinking they literally grow up thinking okay, if I get into the honors class or if I get into this good school, if I get into this internship, whatever, it's literally because I'm better than everybody and I'm smarter and I worked really hard for it. They don't see what is working behind the scenes and what is already working in their favor. Mm -hmm. And so with the writer's room, if let's say I got staff, say a show staff me and then this white guy at the same time, he is going to say, Oh, well, you just got here because you're black and they need a black girl on the staff. And that they like to make that, that's like congruent to your script wasn't really good, but they hired you for their quote. They hired right. you. Right. You're the diversity hire. Yes, but it's also explaining mm. that that's you got hired for your script, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh no! Like Not I said, again. And another thing is like, especially where I grew up. I mean, where I grew up, it's like no one says you could be a screenwriter. I never even heard the word. That's why that wasn't my first path. Like I went to books first, mm -hmm. and so until we get systems in place where you are going to those schools and you're doing outreach and you're talking and you're saying. You're doing like a little talking with auditorium, like, okay, guys, so we brought this person, they're a professional screenwriter, and you implement things so we can get internships, so we can get into these programs, so we can get grants and scholarships. Until you do that, that's it's not going to become more diverse. Like, mm -hmm. right. it's just 
it's going to be at a snail's pace. You don't okay. know that you can do I didn't know you could do this. I literally learned about speedwriting in 2017. Um, and that's because I went to a film festival and I told them my sob story about the novels and they were just like, oh, you know, there's a, a shortcut because I basically wanted to write novels to adapt it and win best adapted screenplay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. I thought, or you have to be a director. I thought directors wrote the script. So literally no one told me that. And obviously now with more access to and stuff, you could research stuff, but it's just like, they tell you where you come from, oh, like, you know, either you're going to be an athlete and make it out, or you're going to go the really hard academic, and basically that's how I got out, and you're going to get a 4.0, and you're getting a really good school, and you're going to go get some boring job or whatever. I always knew I wasn't going to do that, but I knew I had to do the school thing, but I never knew the possibility of, oh, you know, like, if you want, you can move out to LA, grind hard, and you could become a screenwriter. So mm -hmm. until that's awesome, implemented at a young age where it has to be outreach, it can't be put on us to figure this out. They need to do the outreach. So, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they have the resources to do that too. Uh, Chris, yeah. did, you, did you have something else? I do, because, you know, I, like I said, I got these questions burning. But, um, <laughs> and thank you, ladies, so much for answering that. Like, that's that was great advice, great information. So here's what I was doing. So I went back, and, you know, you always got to do your research and your homework, right? But I was listening to episode 315 on July 15th called Dear Hollywood. It was a podcast mm -hmm. that Hilliard and Lisa, I believe you were on there as well, killing it, as you guys always do. And it was mentioned about the letter to Hollywood. And about the lack of talent and lack of opportunities uh, for writers. And so um, there was a quote in there, well, a part of that letter, because I had to go back and read the entire letter. Mm -hmm. And um, it said, and I have to read this to you, it sure. said um, that the way to fix the issues was for the industry to implement forward-looking project development and staffing practices, including attracting, developing, mentoring, hiring, and retaining the next generations of diverse writers, directors, producers, and executives at all levels. And as a B portion, later in the letter, it called for Hollywood to partner with schools to create programming that educates and prepares black people and black uh, and people of color, excuse me, for a career in Hollywood. So mm -hmm. my question, um, especially because Amber, you just pointed out something really, really important and, and Hillier, you said too, that they have the funding, they have all the things to do so. But my question is, in what ways are you all personally involved in helping to get the unknown black talent, in particular black women, into, into the business and into positions to shift that narrative? Because yes, girl, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. It's a whole bunch of people that, you know what I'm saying, have all yeah. these opportunities and have all this right. stuff. But what you guys have is right. the ability to invite people to the party like, I'm just going to throw me in there, like myself. Um, that's how I got in. I got invited to the party because someone said, hey, girl, you know what? You should check this out. And mm -hmm. so... If we don't have that in our community, then how are we going to teach the young black boy, the young black woman who doesn't know that screenwriting is a, a thing that you can do, that they can do it? So in what ways are you guys helping to shift, make that shift and that change? Well, I mean, I, I think I do it in a whole bunch of ways. But um, number one, with this podcast, you know, just giving this game for free. And, you know, having beautiful women like you guys on to talk about, you know, your experiences and stuff. <clears throat> I think that that's important. Um, myself and Michelle Amore and Bianca Sams, who wrote that Dear Letter of Hollywood. Um, I hope you guys all read that. I mean, it's nothing but game. Um, uh, we, we have been fighting. I'm just going to say it. 
with the NAACP for a long time about mm -hmm. them. This is a perfect example of what you were talking about, Amber, and, and yourself, Chris. <clears throat> We've been fighting with them for a while about, about having the, um, um, you know, when they do the NAACP Image Awards, uh -huh. they don't have the nominations for writers shown live. Right. So we've mm -hmm. been fighting with them. If you guys remember, like during the Emmys and all that stuff, when Lena Waithe won, you know, when um, um, when they won for Black Panther, all that stuff. We keep going, guys. What are you doing? You were missing you all show. these moments. Thank you. You know. And so I remember when Lena won, we got into it with them about the fact that um, look at look at a big moment you missed, where where the Emmys now had this moment of this black woman. You guys could have had it. You know, mm -hmm. live on television. Right. You know what I mean? Now the Emmys are the ones who walk away with, with Lena with this beautiful moment that she got to experience. <clears throat> and so we're like, what the problem is, is that kids, like you, you guys were just saying a moment ago, Amber, you didn't even know this stuff existed until a few years ago. Imagine we all pretty much watched the NAACP Image Awards. It's the biggest thing we have. Mm -hmm. Imagine if we saw a writer get up there and get their award for writing Whatever the thing is, you would know it's a thing. Why mm -hmm. the young person watching? Right, yeah. and as you as a kid watching that, you see like, oh my God, there's writers. You got these actors getting their shine, but it starts with the word on the page. Yeah. But, but we don't see the, about and, we, and we don't see that baby. All this stuff right. like that. I'm like, it's the right. stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You right. know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. been some of the fight that we've been having. But I mean, and then as you know, just speaking for myself. You know, besides the podcast that I do, um, a lot of the outreach that I do with 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 emerging writers, period. <clears throat> um, myself and Lisa, she's got a lot of mentees too, and so um, um, uh, that's the reason why I'm so involved in the Writers Guild because I'm in a position to be aware and and know of the things that are going on that others don't. You're no longer just a member. You know what I mean? I'm actually sitting in the room with the board meetings and all that stuff like that. So I know what's happening mm -hmm. and I'm aware. So it helps me to go back and give you guys game on the intricacies of things that you don't know. Mm -hmm. right. so, and unfortunately, a lot of people aren't doing that because I think a lot of the times we see people start to make it and they get comfortable and they don't want to, oh, I don't want to rock the boat. I want to keep going mm -hmm. and do our thing. And and it's funny because now that Netflix is putting all these old black shows from the '90s back on, like I was, right. like literally this past week, I've been watching Half and Half, which is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> Why? Because because Mona, Mona was like me, like the whole curly hair, the crazy clothes. That that was totally me in my 20s, and so I was like, I totally related to that show. It's like, okay, this is me. They're telling my life story. At last, they could see the black girl, nerdy, crazy girls. And it was like, <laughs> then I started going back and watching the Parkers, and there was like this golden age where we had these writers, and a lot of those writers were reaching out and pulling people in, and then you see the mm -hmm. similar names for different shows that come out, and you see the name of some people in one show, they created their own show, and then you see like this networking, and like literally on YouTube, I was watching, somebody had put up some episodes of Rock, and like I was watching Orlando Jones, where you started there and different people who writing and move up and the story editor and then and it kind of like feel like there comes a point nowadays where a lot of the writers once they make it they're so afraid to like branch out or, or stir the pot for anything they're just trying to make it themselves but i just feel like 2020 is the year of letting it all hang out pull your people in because that's what other writers do 
Mm-hmm. They don't look for the writers above them. The ones that are really making, when I look at Easter Ray, when I look at all these different people that are coming up, they're looking at their friends and people that are right next to them and, and, and using their resources and working together and building together. And somehow we've got to make that connection again. And I'm hoping with the success, like I said, of Love Cat Country, all these different shows that are coming out, um, a lot of black creatives, that they're taking that type of mentality of bringing the people that are right next to them, uh, mentoring each other, supporting each other, and creating opportunities. I, it's just it's hard enough just trying to be a writer and make it on a regular show anyway. But I feel like we have a responsibility because literally I didn't know anything about screenwriting until literally my friend who was working at Sony Pictures mm-hmm. said, girl, here's some scripts. And you've heard me tell this story before, mm-hmm. Hilliard. She was giving me scripts where I would read the script. I didn't know there was a, such a thing as a script reader who did like <laughs> coverage. <laughs> Bitch, I could have been in the industry so much sooner because she would give me these scripts <laughs> and she was not supposed to. Like the script actually had the stamp on there saying, Bitch, if you take this off the studio lot, we will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting in Culver City, two blocks away from Sony Pictures, reading all these, these well known scripts my best friend's wedding. Um, the one that Cuba Good Jr. won, where I said, whoever gets this rose gonna win an Oscar. They gonna win a best supporting. This good, the best script. I didn't know. And then until she brought me on the set and where she was working at, and it was TriStar at the time, and there was another black girl there, and I, I didn't know anything about optioning because my thought was, when you sell a script, they pay you all that money up front, and then the movie gets made. Like that's yes. that's how that's how naive look look that's how naive I was back in the late nineties. Like, as soon as you, bitch, once they pay the money, that shit gets made. That's how that works. <laughs> and so I went on the lot, and I'm hanging out with her, like, so y'all got all these scripts from people who, y'all just read them, and then you write little reports? Right. <laughs> you get paid to write little reports, and then you do it like a thumbs up, thumbs down? Bitch, you getting paid for this? <laughs> and then the other girl who was a script reader came back from vacation from Bali, and she's like, yeah, I, I optioned a script. What does that mean? Well, they paid me some money up front. They might make the movie. I'm sorry, they paid you how much money and you took that money and went on a vacation? But your <laughs> script might not even be made? How does this work? <laughs> but these were black women. And only because they nice. opened their mouth and said, hey, mm-hmm. you know how to read a script. And like literally a year after <laughs> that happened, when Best Friends Wedding and all that stuff won, and when... um. You know, Tom uh, Tom Cruise was there getting all that. What shit was that movie? Terry Maguire. Thank you. I read that script. <laughs> Mind you, the script said, "Bitch, we will kill you." <laughs> they hadn't even they hadn't even cast the cast back then. They had no attachments. I had like the second draft of the script. I read that fucking script and I said, "Whoever plays the wife, whoever plays the football player, whoever plays Jerry Maguire, they're fucking going to get nominated." Because this is like the I read. American Beauty, third draft, read that, said, this is the best script. Whoever fucking does this, whoever this Alan Ball is, this motherfucker knows how to write his ass off. And it was like, after they won all that stuff, my friend said, you know, you might want to really consider hanging out in LA. There's this group called the Organization of Black Screenwriters. I'm like, what? There are (laughs) black people who get together (laughs) and they help each other do this thing called screenwriting? I mean, I tried at 13 to write some, you know, some different stroke scripts. I didn't know nothing. 
But it wasn't until some <laughs> other black women and black people said, here's yeah. this, come here, got, was able to meet DMA, all these other people, Michael Jockway, people who mm-hmm. were actually working, who were saying, we can do this. But it was only because they were taking the time to reach out and do that. I remember Michael Jockway used to come to OBS and do classes for us. He would just go out of his way to do stuff. Like that man was working overtime and had mm-hmm. so many people that he helped become TV writers, you know, but that was him reaching out to do that. There are other people in the business who were doing that. I just don't see enough of that. I don't, mm-hmm. I think it's because one, a lot of the people who were coming up when you and I were coming up Hilliard, mm-hmm. a lot of them, either they left the business, they had to go get a regular jobs. A lot yeah. of them had to go back East and get work in corporate America. Some went back to go teaching. It seemed like there was a stair step gap where we were kind of going on our way. I see a lot of our friends now, Hilliard, that are getting on shows now that I know them in like 15, 20 years where they are. But I feel now we're at an opportunity, especially with social media, especially with so much good content that's coming out from Black people. There's mm-hmm. no excuse why we cannot, why we cannot be ahead of the game nowadays. By the way, is everybody okay on time? We're, we're probably going to go a little long. Yeah. So if you guys can okay. stick around, I appreciate it. Amber, were you going to say something? No. Okay. What's your next question, Chris? <laughs> no, keep okay, it going. So, I love it. I love it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So let's circle back to the letter uh, to Hollywood real quick. Because um, in there you make, there's another statement that's made. And, and I you know, try to be right on my quotes. It says, the criticism that came with hashtag Oscar so white finally mm-hmm. set off an industry trend toward implementing DEI-oriented practices. And went on to say that it still remains a pervasive issue to this day. So my question is, do you think the industry sees Black lives as a temporary trend? And if so, how do we keep mattering to the industry well after everyone goes back to business as usual? Well, um, Lisa and I talked about this when when, um, Black Panther came out. Like is because all of a sudden there was this wave when they won in particular where kind of like what happened after George Floyd, a wave came again. And as, as Ida Lome and all of us, we all know all these people in industry, all of a sudden our friends started getting these overall deals, like bam, (laughs) like everybody, it seemed like every week somebody's got an overall deal. (laughs) What we were talking about last week is, will it last? Right. Mm-hmm. Is it right. So, is it a moment? Is it a moment exactly. or a movement? You know? and, and, and 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 Chris said this really interesting. He said he's gonna give it eighteen months from about right, right now. Right. So in right. essence, let's just say two years. So every two years a new cycle happens. Right. Right. So if and usually your your overall deals last for about a year or two. So let's just mm-hmm. assume two, right? Okay. So if these people get renewed, you know and get picked up and some of the projects start getting done with these overall deals, then we know something's real. Right. Uh, otherwise, did they just set aside, I'm just spitballing a number, $250,000, set it aside and go, well, let's just give such and such an option, an overall deal. You know, it'll just fall by the wayside. We won't buy any of the work, but you know, we'll buy them out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But they're willing to risk that $250,000, for example, you know, just to say they did something. Right. And be like, well, we didn't right. like any of the work, so we didn't buy anything. So nothing right. was good enough. You know what right. I mean? So right. what's going to happen is, will they actually follow through and produce these projects? Mm. You know, some them, will some of them make it to the air? Right. You know what I mean, that's, okay. that's the difference. And again, will their contracts get renewed? 
Right. That's what I want. And it's, fair, and, it's, and, it's, and it's very easy to get overall deals. It's very easy to say, we're doing this. But reality is, as Chris said, and we talked about it last week, you know, 18 months, two years from now, where is that product? Those people that you reached out to, those people you were like, yes, we're, we're, we're down for this. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm still sitting here wanting to watch this shit on TV and in a film. Right. Like, I'm not seeing the product. I'm not seeing the end result. It's very easy to talk game. And then, oh, stuff just happened. Some changes. And it's like, okay. then, then you just, you bullshitting. You just playing. Yeah. You know? I'm not an optimist. So I don't, um, like, I'm looking at it. It's they're probably, it's probably just game. It just seems like mm-hmm. it happened. They all felt guilty. They all felt bad. Mm-hmm. And like, we have to do something. We have to do something. And they're doing Say it fast. That. So that. I'm off as genuine or authentic. So I just feel like they're doing whatever to placate us right now. Right. And right. in two years, it's going to be another, okay, nothing happened. Right. Exactly. Well, I think, I think, I think people, great. oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. But yeah, until they hire people and not just give overall deals, until they mm-hmm. literally hire a lot yeah. of agents, a lot of agents, a lot of managers, until, studio, like everybody, until the hiring is there, I don't see it changing. Like, right. Well, it's he, funny. It, it's, I'm sorry, Everett. I was just thinking about something as soon as you said that. It's funny because before the Rona, well, what happened, for example, is I would get a meeting at said big company, right? They want me to come in and, you know, write some script for them, let's just say. <clears throat> and myself and Pamela would be sitting at the table. It'd be all white people and one black person, for example, who mm. never said a word. <laughs> so what I figured... And Try now, to keep that job. Let me show you how so cool you? we are, though. Let me show you how cool we are, though. They'll just be sitting there, and the white people Uh-oh. all will be talking. I went, aha, that's either the secretary, the assistant, the somebody down the hall. They knew they had these two mm-hmm. writers coming in that they knew they want to work with. They wanted to look like, look at our team. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. We actually have one just like you. So now we call them out. <laughs> so now we'll be in the middle of the meeting, and we'll be like, yeah, yeah, great, 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 great. So, um, Sarah, what do you think? Because they're sitting there quiet. Mm-hmm. We will you call them that. out. And, and because I want to hear their opinion. And usually, because they all are the younger, you know, um, executive coming up, uh-huh. they actually have a really interesting opinion mm-hmm. that they've been holding on to, right? And then they'll say something, and I'll go, that's what I'm talking about. Right. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> on purpose. Love it. In right. essence, I'm saying, so bump the bitch. Okay, give her. I'll give her a bump. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to help them, and so, and actually, I just found out that one of them moved up to VP. Oh, yeah. watch out! Yes, just found out about that. That's so fun. that's yeah. interesting. Um, I don't. I don't even remember your full question. I apologize. Sometimes I go no, on a rant. You know. No, I was just saying, um, if you think that the industry sees us us being black people as a trend. And if so, how do we keep mattering to the industry after everyone goes back to business as usual? Because I'm like Chris and I'm like a lot of you and like Amber, this is to me, it's like the equivalent of saying, I have a black friend and we all know what that's about. And so for me, I'm like, okay, so right now, because you know, we have the political things going on. We have the killing of the, um, we gonna keep saying their names of the Breonna Taylors and, 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 and the Floyd and then it just the George Floyds. And my thing is, okay. So after people feel like, oh, we given them, you know, they 40 acres and a mule sort of thing after we gave (laughs) them a little bit of taste and they go back to they, you know, they regular lives. Right. It's just like, and forgive me for saying this, but it's like the trend of, 
of the white actresses and the right actors in Hollywood going to Africa to get them a black baby. I'm not right. saying they don't have good intentions. So right. that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it becomes a trend at some point. And I, I feel like we're a trend. You know, this is my life we're talking about, right? So my everybody, thing is everybody wants an electric car right now, right? Right. Come on now. <laughs> everybody wants the little bells and the whistles. So my thing is, I'm sorry. Yeah. Michelle, go ahead. Even no, even going on that, like just even the question of like the fact that we have to say, how do we keep mattering um, to other people? It all it brings me back. I, I it's I don't feel like it's cynical or pessimistic, but the real reality is, y'all go figure it out that we all matter. Like that's not on us. You know, we know that. We've been knew that. You know, for a long time, and I feel like it's just important for us to not let that, not take that to heart, and not believe it ourselves. Like at the end of the day, we're gonna keep writing our stories, we're gonna keep telling our stories, and we're gonna keep uplifting our communities just the same way. Like you're going into rooms and saying, "Hey, Sarah, what do you think?" And like letting that voice be amplified in a moment, in a moment where where there's a space full of white people. You know, it's like that onus truly, truly is not on us to get people to like care for our lives and care mm -hmm. for our stories because we're going to be here. We're just not going to disappear off the face of the earth. It's just not happening. I don't know right. like, what sci-fi right. movie that's being drummed up, but like that's not the case. And so I feel like if we continue to just move authentically and with each other and truly bring one another up, like that's going to be our saving grace at the end of the day. Because mm -hmm. the reality is we got enough to worry about, not just as artists, but as black people, yeah. period. Right. So we're right. all balancing yeah. that. I don't need to, I'm not trying to advocate for you all the time to be um, em empathetic towards me mm -hmm. being alive. Like if that's, you gonna have to do Come that on. work. Okay. And I, I'm like, I'm honestly at a point where truly I, I need allies surrounding me because the reality is, and Amber and I have talked about this, like representation managers, ages, they're not, they're not mm -hmm. black. Like that's not, that's not the case. So until then I'm like, I have to be surrounded by allies. And I'm definitely grateful to even have that where they're advocating for me. They're not trying to um, tamper my voice. You know, they're trying to mm -hmm. ensure that it's authentic and, and saying like, right. well, you know, what do you think? What do we need right. to do? You know, okay. and helping me like we're also doing this on our end to ensure that we're being held accountable. You know, that's all we can do with what we have now. And it's it's a long time. It's going to be a long time. There's a whole establishment that has been set years <laughs> and years and years. Right. And it's so crazy. I'm I'm so young, acting like I've been on this earth for 80 years. But <laughs> it's crazy. They make, they this make this is a phone conversation. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> even, <laughs> even think about like. Jim Crow was not that long ago. Like okay. we was not that far. It's last week. It's last it, week, actually. It was yesterday. It look, was yesterday. Look, look, I look, just look, got look, access look. to the water fountain. Listen, Offset just realized that in Hollywood rolling okay, through the yesterday. Yeah. Okay. He's like, you know who I am? Yes, you're black. Get out the car. <laughs> he was like, he's like, I'm from the Migos. Like, that that Birkin bag don't mean nothing now, That's do it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it is so, it's just so crazy. Like this ongoing, this ongoing shout for screams that are never heard. Listen, y'all gonna either wake up to it or not. Like at the end of the day, we know our light. We know okay. we're helping. Like it's just. It's funny because 2020 has been like the year of revelations for people because so many people, actors, like a lot of black actors from different shows who've been coming out and like telling everything. All the business. <laughs> like, All I, think the, business. I think the last one I just saw was the women, what was it, was it Glow? The, the wrestling show that was right. on Netflix and the women of color on there was just like, look, this is how they was treating us. <laughs> like people are being dragged for filth up and down throughout 2020. I feel like people are like, you know what? It's the fucking end of the world. 
<laughs> I might make it. I might not. You know what? I'm telling everybody how fucked up everything is. And I think because people are actually being on and people are actually because we've had to shut down and people actually have to sit with a lot of stuff they've never had to sit with before. I just feel like this is like really prime. I don't know. It's like a primordial soup that could be something really good in the next coming years. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to see the positive, the positive in it. But I also think that a lot of the shows that I've been watching and because things have become more niche and earlier we've talked about in a couple of other episodes where the way we view things have become so different now with different streaming platforms and different ways of viewing and seeing that a lot of the shows that I see that are really, really popular, you know, are really shows that have a lot of diversity on them. Like I'm thinking that the, mm -hmm. the, the, the thing that's kind of hot right now that I'm actually going to like binge, um, literally when we get done with this, I'm going to like, <laughs> after my other writing meeting, I'm gonna actually going to watch the episodes is um, The Haunting of Bly Manor, nice. which is a show created by, you know, white folks, but it's got like two black women in it. And to me, that's like a big deal. Like there's always shows that has like the token black people on it. <laughs> and there's shows that when black people create it, we have all types of black people on it, but it's when white people put shows together and there's more than one black person and they're not related and they're not in a sexual relationship and they're just totally separate things. I get kind of impressed a little bit. I mean, it's a low bar, <laughs> but, it makes me, but, it, but it makes me take notice. Like, and I don't know if it's because it's you know a British show or whatever, but it's like certain shows are starting to pick up on the fact that if you got some really interesting stories with black characters in them, people are going to watch and yeah. people are going to be interested because I have to be honest, the shows that I'm watching now, if you got more than one black person or something interesting, I'm going to watch it because you got black people in it. I'm, I'm, I might not right, laugh. I'm going to give you 20 minutes. I'm going to give you some good 20 Hello, minutes. Mate. Were you going to say something? I was agreeing. And I, I think because um, I think with Blind Manor, even The Witcher, um, I started watching that and mm -hmm. I was like, oh, there's a lot of black people in it, even though it's set in a Game of Thrones type yes. world where yes. people didn't exist, I guess. Um, <laughs> I guess right. right, no, this one actually has a lot of black people and like you said, in prominent roles, not just mm -hmm. the side characters. And they are seeing a different in a difference in the numbers. And I think it's good that we are now using initiatives to track, you know, where are those numbers coming from? Are they coming from the black community that's more drawn to those shows? I think so, but I think also an awareness in general of, of diversity and wanting to support shows that show diversity from people of all backgrounds. There is a movement towards that. And then I also think the public shaming when you don't use people of color to talk, hey. I think yes. it's necessary. And I'm all, mm -hmm. I, the, the project I'm working on now, I, I told my agents, I was like, if I don't get it, I'm gonna publicly shame this huge student to write a story about people that look like me or are from my country. Like listen. I'm going through. Listen, mm -hmm. I love social, that. social media has become the town square. Mm -hmm. And the town square has been the place of public draggings hangings. and, and hangings <laughs> and <laughs> bows and arrows and shotguns and like it's like wow. It's come to that because it's kind of like there gets to be a point where it's so ridiculous where people need to be open and just, just come out and just say it. Yeah. And like I said before, you know, so many different actors behind the scenes are coming out and saying stuff. And like, 
I'm just telling y'all what's going on behind the scenes, blah, blah, blah. And what's interesting in, it's also preemptive. Mm. And I've noticed this because, for example, the, the, the sequel to The Craft is coming out. And I've seen conversations on Tumblr and different, um, you know, with a lot of the people who are into genre things or, or talking and having the discussions. And people are really having serious discussions, not only about that one, but also The Witches that just came out on Hulu, mm-hmm. I believe, where people were just like, and, and of course the conversation's about remakes anyway, and most people don't like remakes, but, you know, to each its own. But it's the idea that people are having conversations before they even see it and, and making statements where it's like, if it doesn't have this and this and this, I'm out. If, I'm, if I don't like it, I'm gonna let y'all know I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And where it's like, I think Hollywood's actually listening now. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially in terms of like the conversation I've been seeing around a lot of HBO shows like Insecure and stuff like that in Lovecraft Country where writers and producers are actually listening to people who are supporting the content who are having kind of a say, even though it's like technically it's supposed to be like the writers write, they produce it, direct it, and that's the show and you deal with it. But now because people are, are really interactive with the fandom and with social media and actually having a dialogue with what they're seeing, yeah. um, I think it's going to be changing. It's, it's, it's been changing within the last five or six years, but I think it's going to be even more important in terms of writers really listening to the fandom because the fans... They make your show. If they're not watching or streaming your stuff, I'm sorry. You're not going to laugh. It's still hard to do, though, because mm. you're so far ahead Yes. the time it comes out. Yeah. But, mm. but I'm thinking in terms of also like Games of Thrones, all the actors coming out now saying, like, this shit was blah, blah, blah. Like, they can't say it now because they're free. <laughs> shit is over. <laughs> but it's like it's so interesting to see the conversations a lot of actors are having who are saying, we... When fans are like, oh, this is not going away in terms of diversity, in terms of how certain things are going, where they're coming out and saying, yeah, we kind of knew that and we tried to tell people, but they didn't want to listen because they were white dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and because they knew what was best and they were like, don't worry about it, we'll deal with it. And then they got dragged in the public square mm-hmm. and we're hoping other writers take notice of those things and try to write better things. Like I said, ultimately writers are gonna write what they're gonna write, producers are gonna produce it. And it's hard when you're a writer and you're trying to write the best story you can write and tell the best thing that's been in your heart and your passion thing. And of course it goes through different incarnations once the director gets it, once producers get attached, once actors wanna have their say, and you're just happy to see it get made. But I think the way we consume content has changed so much. Yeah. And it's not a one it's not a mm. one way street anymore. It's never going to be a one way street anymore. And so as writers and as content makers, we really have to look at the overall way that things are coming out. Because I'm going to tell you right now, some of the best shit that's coming out, it ain't coming from the United States. I'm mm, watching sure. stuff on I'm watching stuff from Africa, especially my 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 Nigerian shows, my shows from South Africa, shows from, you know, Sweden and places like that. And shout out to Nigeria, the young people who are trying to end SARS and the police mm-hmm. brutality that's going on there. <clears throat> like, I see y'all doing what y'all got to do. And, you know, shout out to you because I know I'm watching the shows and a lot of the product and content that's coming out of Nasia land. Come on, Nollywood. Um, <laughs> they're actually starting to do stories that are dealing with a lot of those type of social issues. And it's interesting to see it coming from a place outside of the United States because... The United States thinks it's the world of everything, 
And mm-hmm. it's just interesting to see stories from different places. And as a writer, I think that makes you a better writer because it makes you a global citizen mm-hmm. and it makes you aware of other ways to tell a story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, you know. <clears throat> What's the next? Chris. <laughs> Come on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like, so this is a question I have, and I know Hilliard, you um, touched on it a little bit earlier in our in our show, in our segment, where you talked about um, being a multi-hyphenate. Okay, and I know um, some of you ladies as well talked about the different, the many different areas that you have great talents in. And so myself, I touched on the fact that I'm a musician. I sing and I write. Um, I know uh, Regina, you also act, and um, you know, just so my question, and I know Amber, you said you're a junior agent. So my question is this, because it overcooks my grits. So I'm gonna be honest with you. I'll be, I'll be burning <laughs> my pot. Be tired, they be sticking. Um, I go, where, oh, my, I go, where my grits at? You know, okay, okay. <laughs> Come home okay. to the bay. We got. You. But, um, okay. but no, um, so my question is though, um, I get told a lot. No, I know you're a writer. I know you're a singer. You can't do both. You gotta pick one. You can't do this. You can't do that. With my my Not stories anymore. and the things I do, I try to marry all of all of my talents into one because they all kind of work with each other. Even when you think music theater, it's music and writing. So my question to you is, what is the best way to do that? Because it's like. For me, it's like telling me which hand do you want to cut off? I'm like, no, no, I need the right and the left. They both serve a purpose. So help me to understand. And I know I have a lot of friends who I pray will be supporting this and listening to this who think, also have the same dilemma. I think it's about the approach on how you sell yourself. So okay. here's the difference. So you come at it like I'm a singer, I'm an actor, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a producer, I'm a director, or I'm a filmmaker. I'm an mm-hmm. artist. Okay. So the filmmaker and the artist says you do all these things, right? That okay. means I write, direct, I produce, I act, I do all these things. But if you come in with the whole list, it doesn't sound like you're focused. Got but to be, be a sounds like you know more than one thing. It puts you under an umbrella, right? That's just my opinion, right? Yep. And, and, and maybe it'll soften the blow for the person to judge you. As soon as you say I'm a filmmaker and you're already somebody who's somebody who's been produced, you have an award, you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera. You've already opened that door to be called that, you know. And then depending, and what I always do is, depending on who I'm talking to, will help you to justify the the thing you're going to talk about the most. Like I don't always talk about the fact that I podcast, even though we have a huge audience of people who listen to us, mm-hmm. you know, okay. because I have to decide: do I want them to know that about me, or? Do I want them to know that I'm a writer? Like I hardly ever mentioned that I'm a director ever, you know, because it's the, the last one that I talk about, you know? Mm-hmm. I can direct in my sleep, you know, but it's not something that I have a desire. Like Chris wants to be a director. So three or four projects that I've been brought on to do, I brought him to do, and then I produced it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not that I can't do it. I go by lane. Nowadays, now I kind of honestly, mm-hmm. I kind of expect it. Like the people who are hitting right now, they are hyphenates. Like yeah, the people okay. who are doing it up. Like to me, that's not seen as a negative. Like it used to be. Like oh, you got to be this. I don't like. I almost expect it. Not that I don't think of anybody less who just specifically wants to just be a writer or I just do. specifically wants to be a, a, a director. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, you do what you got to do to get your shit done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel that. Don't worry about what they say. It don't matter. You know your focus and you have the right. work. But that's right. why I was thinking that you could at least use the umbrella of a filmmaker. And that tells you yes. you do a lot of stuff. So. Okay. Hyphenate, I feel that um, 
isn't talked about a lot and that I think as writers we should lean into if it interests us because okay. um, it is a hyphenate that I think works and that is being a novelist and a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at all the projects, including the only two that I've been employed on, they are all adaptations. Mm -hmm. um, and even in our room, one of the writers, um, she is now an EP and a writer on the show that is based on her novel. Right. That's <laughs> awesome. It's, it's, she's incredible. She has her whole career built in front of her. And so there's a lot of power that comes with being a novelist. And it's not something I, I feel as much that's questioned or people are saying, oh, no, pick one, because at the end of the day, you're right. a writer. And in fact, I think it's an asset now to be a right. novel, have novels, because they're always looking IP. for IP. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let me, let me, let me piggyback if you don't, is right. that okay? Yeah. Let me piggyback on that, because um, when, when you do have, so, okay, not to just be throwing myself, but I'm the only example I have right now. As a, a, a black woman who is a novelist, who has a publishing company, who publishes her own books and puts them on Barnes and Noble's bookshelves. Amazing. What does that look like trying to be a part of this industry? I know you said that this, that this writer novelist that you know of is in a blessed position, but for those of us who are kind of waiting at the door trying to get in the party, what is that what is that process that transition how do we get those books option what is that especially for me i'm not repped so right. i don't have somebody you know when you're from the bay it's just hey how you doing you know i'm good what's good you just make your own connections but when in the industry they don't want to talk to the talent they want to talk to your manager they want to talk to your so and so and so and so so my question is how how then do we transition to that place of you know being in the room where god dog hamilton being in the room where it happens <laughs> <don't know>. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, and anyone can jump in, but I know the the two people I'm working with both started in the publishing world. I think they started first self-publishing, but you know, built that um, built that platform, got yep. the buzz. That yep. step led them to getting representation in the literary yep. world, which I know is just as difficult as in the screenwriting world. But it's even if it's someone small, I feel I feel like a lot of them are with publishing companies that maybe don't have as much clout as the screenwriting reps that they're with. Like, uh, she's with CAA, but I'm not sure if her publishing company is as uh, well-known. I think it's like a local European publishing company. But, um, so that being said, I think it does still work the same type of process. Okay. Um, but I know that uh, a lot of the agencies, including Gersh, have a literary division as well. Right. Agents, right. yeah that focus right. on literary, but right. then also cross-pollinate with TV and film agents. So it's just a matter of if you feel that that's a stronger path for you, really leaning into that path and knowing that you'll eventually be able to cross over. Okay. That's very good. Very good. That was a good answer. <clears throat> like, I'm over here taking notes. I'm being so studious, y'all. Y'all don't even know. <laughs> Amber, I see on Amber, I see the hand up. Amber, was that another question? Oh, I just see the little icon. Oh. I didn't know if it was. There you Sorry. go. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure to make sure we weren't missing out on anybody. You know, it's funny because with the publishing industry, because a lot of my friends are like big name writers, like who are getting like big option deals in the business now, like, cause you know, they're just, they're just badass like that. But I, what I find exciting for me is the idea mm -hmm. of indie writers, because before there used to be a stigma, they used to call it back in the old days, they called them vanity press writers mm -hmm. or, you know, unpublished, you know, they don't really have a a lot of the indie stuff that's coming out now 
has been so good that it's actually making big publishing companies come after them. So it's almost for a lot of writing, a lot of my writing friends now who actually have publishing deals, a lot of them are actually going into indie writing because it's just another way of having content, of mm -hmm. having already done material because they can say, oh, it's already based on a book. It has an audience already. It's an, almost an easier sell for a lot of product. So for those of you who are authors and stuff, you know, really do lean into that because a lot of times that's what a lot of producers are looking for. It's so much easier to get a product or a project that already has a audience. That's why you see so many remakes of films. That's why you see a lot of people, books that haven't even been published yet. They're still mm -hmm. in the gal. They're still in the galley phase. Like I had a friend of mine that just had a book that got option. I'm like, bitch, the book hadn't even been published yet. Right. <laughs> I haven't even seen my little copy that you're supposed to send me, so I can. I haven't seen nothing yet. But, but you got to remember that sometimes studios and networks and producers are looking for something. Exactly. And, then and they, they have, hear they that there's the a book coming out yes. about that thing. Because mm -hmm. this is what they're thinking. This is what they're thinking especially those that already have their own literary divisions, what they're thinking is we're going to make a gazillion dollars off of this. Not only if we're going to have the product in-house in terms of a book, but as soon as the movie gets made, people are going to go back and buy the book again just mm -hmm. to have that content. Nice. So they want to kind of like monopolize and have all of that stuff. So that's why a lot of people are like, wow, this book just got optioned, but it's not even in... It hasn't even been published yet. Like the due date for it to come out is, yeah, because they already have that shit in-house and they're already scouting, looking for the next big thing that's going to be hot. Yeah. So if you are a writer, you know, look into that. Look into, especially if you're getting a deals from indie writers who are starting to get in traditional publishing, ask that company, do you have a division, a film division, movie, TV division? What do you have? Because a lot of these companies are looking for that. They want that pre-made, built-in audience material. And I'm just talking from the experience of having friends who are big name writers, who have won the big Hugos, who are getting stuff optioned, that are getting turned into stuff. And these are just regular folks that I've been hanging out for years. It's like, bitch, one day we're going to be those people. And that day has come. And, come the good thing about, and the good thing about them is they're going back and telling the rest of us, all right, look, this is how it works. This is what's happening. Oh, my God, y'all need to know. We need more people like that, not only in the book world, me, but also in the TV and film world doing that, too. Let me, let me piggyback off of one thing before you get to your question, Chris. Do you remember your thought? Yeah, yeah, I got Okay, it. good. I was going to say this. We've talked about this a couple of times on the show before. So what happens is this could be with your book or this could be with your script. Mm -hmm. So say you get a manager or a rep, or let's just say you even meet a producer, right? And they ask to read something. You send them your script your book, your novel, your whatever, your short story, <clears throat> and then you get a meeting. Most people go, wow, they want to meet me. They want to buy my script. <laughs> they do not want to buy your script. <laughs> Here's what they want to do. They want to meet that writer who wrote that thing that they liked. Mm -hmm. It was your sample is what it was, right? Okay. So most time people think, oh, well, you know, this producer read my script, so they must want to buy this. Remember, mm -hmm. Ilome was talking about, I believe it was you, Ilome, you were talking about the um, um, business affairs. Now you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Mm -hmm. This is what <laughs> happens when you send a script to somebody, you hear from business affairs when they want to buy it. You don't hear oh. from the producer going, come in and let's talk. Okay. Business affairs is like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's moved right. up. To another right. not. So you're actually in a right. very good place, Idolome. God's will, it'll all go mm -hmm. through. You know right. I mean? right. Um, right. Right. 
Right. So, so, so I always tell people, so you, you go to meet this said producer, here is what you're supposed to do at the meeting. This is what I'm really good at. Mm. You go to the meeting, you guys have this conversation, you talk all about yourself, they talk about themselves, and at some point they go, well, here's our slate. I yep. take it a step further. I go, what's that one thing you've been really wanting to do that you can't do? That passion project. Oh, my God. There's this thing about aliens. I, I know that's not what our company does, but if I could find the right alien script, that's what I would do, and I would go, hmm. It reminds me, when I was like 12, Alien was my favorite movie. Let me tell you why. And I'll give them a story about something. The first time I saw the movie, the first time I read the script, whatever the thing is, and so they would see my passion and connection. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. always do this. Fuck, would you go out for like two weeks and come back in and pitch something to me? And then I'll bring in the whole team and blah, 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 blah. And I'll tell it from my point of view as right. being the underdog, which is my strength, and I'll go, what if it was an underdog story about blah, 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 blah. And they go, ooh, and they light up, right? That's right. what that submitting your script and getting the meeting was about. Okay. To now come back in and re-pitch them back something that they're doing. Very rarely do you walk into the office and they go, great, nice to meet you. We're going to sign a deal with you. It's not how it works. Right, right. They just wanted to read but you, you to but see you if get, you're any but good. But you get your little hopes up. You get your little hopes up and you <laughs> yeah. go in. And then there's like, Chow. you get over it. It's like, quickly, okay. You know, I didn't been Barnell Hill before, child. You know. Yeah. I'm <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, so this is my last question, y'all. And I promise I'm done. I'm going to leave you alone. And y'all not going to be worried with me no more. But um, <laughs> let's talk location. Can we talk location, location, location? Okay, so look. I'm in the Bay, right? Chilling, we doing our thing, this, face, and all that. And um, <laughs> everybody I meet is like, Chris, Chris, you got to move to L.A. Like, you're not having a career if you don't move to L.A. Like, it's impossible. You are delusional if you think that you could be a writer or you could be anything and live in the Bay Area and not completely move to L.A. And I'm like, wait, I got I got two kids and a husband who, who warm up my bed for me now, child. I can't exactly, just yeah. But other than that, so but what about all the talent, the executive talent, mind you, that lives here in the Bay There's Area? A lot. There's a what lot. about all of we got Pixar out here? We got yep. we got we got all these different. Well, wait a minute. So my question to you is: Is mm -hmm. that a myth? that we have to move to LA to be somewhat successful. Can I still get in the room where it happens? I know we in the Zoom rooms, but can I still get in the room right now being from the Bay with a good connection on internet? Thank you, Comcast. You know, what can, <laughs> what, is, what is the role? I mean, I don't mind flying out, but you know, let me know and let me know. Do well, we, I'm, gonna, you know? I'm gonna answer this fast and then I wanna hear from Elome. Yes, um, please. She is out of town and is on a show from out of town. So it does happen. Now, you do have an agent and a manager, though, so that helps. You have reps, so they're able to help you so she didn't have to be there anymore. But without that, it would have definitely been a bigger fight for you, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, here's the deal. There's a difference between – oh, I was talking about this last week. You guys are at a point right now. Lisa and I didn't grow up with – with the internet. We, we got into the internet later on in our lives. But imagine if this was going on now – 20 years ago when you and I got in, Lisa. I mean, crazy, right? Ooh, wait, we used to go to the writing store and get the book. We had to read had everything hard the hard And we had to, like, look up the address <laughs> in the book, the, exactly. the, the industry standard, and then send a physical copy of the script with the brads. 
Yes. And you have to have to write, cut okay. in the fingers, and you have to put it in the mail yes. and mail it. Have to write bond heavy paper, and then and it was like and when the internet came in, it was like, ooh, what is this magical thing? Okay. <laughs> so let me finish my thought. So, so you guys are at a time now where, and I get these at least two or three, two or three a week, just coming to my company, where writers will reach out and go, hey, I heard you on the podcast. Can I just have a Zoom meeting with you, right? We couldn't have done that before, right? And what I found is in this particular time that we're in during this COVID time, all that people are more available than ever. Mm -hmm. I'm more busier than I've been, but I'm still available for 10, 20 minutes to sit and talk to somebody, right? You'll make the time. And here's the thing that I've learned. People like to talk about themselves. They do. All you have to do is tell me how much you love me. And we're like, you know what? I'll make a moment for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's who we are. We all have that thing. We can't help it, right? Uh -huh. So I say go out of your way to reach out to the people that move you, but have something positive to say. Be like, hey, man, I loved your episode of Such and Such. I would love to get on a call with you just for like 20 minutes to pick your brain. Do not say, will you read me? Don't do any of that. Just talk to them about game. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? About how did your journey happen? What do you advise me to do while I'm living here in the Bay that I could do to get myself ready so that one day we can move out here? You know, right. what steps right. could I be doing besides shooting my own projects, besides blasting it all over Instagram, whatever the thing's going on, besides writing scripts and entering in the contest? Like, what could I be doing? Get that advice, get that game. And, and, and the more people you meet, the more you know. Mm -hmm. Like I told you, you were in my room for a couple of weeks and already blew me away. And I was like, if I get another room i'm gonna be calling chris you know mm, what i mean thank you because she hustles and she does the work she comes in with a whole list of pitches she doesn't just go i got one pitch <laughs> she goes, i got a whole you know what i mean that's what you want you want somebody who does that so mm. so you already are doing the things already you just gotta take it you gotta keep like i was telling earlier you have to keep pivoting you have to okay. go i've done this now what else can i do i've done this now what else can i do you know and don't fall in love with the one thing you do Try something else. Okay. Well, I think, um, yeah, everything's moving virtual now. So this conversation could be different even just a year from now. But I will say, yeah, the only reason I broke in was because I moved to LA. And the reason is if you connect all the dots of how I got to where I am today, it came from um, meeting people face to face. Mm. Um, and and taking the next step and that was all on ground in LA in things that did not exist outside of LA if that makes mm -hmm. sense again technically mm -hmm. all can be remote and you know we're talking remote Lena Waite the whole initiative she have could be remote um, meeting with agents and managers already is happening remote mm -hmm. but I do still think and I still hear this on zoom meetings that there is this idea of oh once this is once this is all over, we can't wait to going back to meeting people face to face because there, there tends to be like this feeling that they have of I need to see you, I need to meet you, I need to see if I like you, and then I'm going to decide if I want to work with you or not. Right, right. It is, even my Netflix job, it came from the fact that I met with the producers a year ago in LA in a coffee that was supposed to be like an hour and went to, you know, over two hours because we just liked each other. Mm -hmm. so much you know they liked my writing but they also loved my personality and they're like we want this girl in our next writer's room and that's a year later 
how they don't. That, that's a perfect example that they don't forget. Yeah. Okay. You, you guys would always say that. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. No, they really didn't. Like a year later, they're like, hey, remember when we went with you a year ago? Yeah, now we have that opportunity we were talking about and uh, we're ready to, you know, consider you for it. And it's, it's, and yeah. This goes for you actors too, for Regina and, and Chris. And I believe, Lilima, are you still acting? Uh, I don't Sometimes. talk about it. But... Okay, I'm just curious, just curious. And so, <laughs> but this goes for you actors. Just think about this. I've, I've sat in probably over 300-something casting sessions as a producer, right? And what I've found is an actress will... Regina will come in. I'm just for a second. Come in and, <laughs> you will come in and kill it. But reasons beyond oh, yeah. how good you are... Just hear me out. This, this will answer your question. Reasons beyond how good you are is not why you didn't get it. We're like, you know what? My girl, I do know Tiffany Haddish because I cast her in this one thing before. She'll probably do me a favor and do this spot, whatever it is. Let me call her. Oh, she's available? Okay, cool. If she can't do it, then we'll go ahead and bring in Regina, right? Reasons beyond you are why you don't get it, not because you're not great, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing that Idilome was just talking about is I'll go this. So then I'll go, okay, wait a minute. Episode three, she, her cousin's coming in from from, from, from uh, the Bay Area, <laughs> you know what I mean? Why can't Regina play that girl, right? We're already thinking like that. So that's what I'm telling you. Your job is not always to get the part. Mm. Your job is to make me remember you. That's good. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. I might not always walk in the, in the door and walk out with a pitch. You know what I mean? I've walked in the door and pitched my ass off and come back out, and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just knew yeah. I did because I fucking killed it. Right. You know? But my, right. but what I know is they still call me back three weeks later and go, you know, we have this other thing. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So right. I did my job. Stop mm-hmm. going in trying to land a role. Go in and try to make them remember you, because then you'll be more relaxed about it. You know what I mean? It'll it'll take it off. It's the same thing with your scripts. You know what I mean? That's a word, honey. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question a little bit? And anybody else can answer that, too, about living outside. Because, mm-hmm. Amber, you moved here just recently. So. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I feel like if it was now, though, if it was this year with the pandemic, I probably wouldn't move. Like, right. you can do all the meetings and all that stuff in the virtual rooms. But, yeah, I hear a lot of people saying stuff like is over. Um, it's more like meetings with execs, pitches, all that stuff will probably stay virtual as, you know, unless you live down the street or whatever. But I do feel like they're probably still want the in-person writers room just because the chemistry is there and it's I just do. a vibe yeah. in the room. <laughs> uh, Zoom is just, it, I feel like it's exhausting. Like you get tired really fast and mm-hmm. it just it like sucks your energy out for whatever reason. So I do think the writers room is probably going to be um, virtual. So, I mean, in person, but meetings, like if you were like only going to want to pursue features, I think you can stay where you are because all the meetings are going to be virtual and you don't have to fly out anymore. But the writers, I think you're going to have to come. But probably not right away. You know what I mean? Like for now, virtual room. So. And let me just say this for anybody listening. Chris K from the Bay is willing to come out for the writers (laughs) experience. And I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) great two-hour episode with y'all i appreciate y'all coming on hanging with us today with me and myself and lisa 
getting it in. I hope yeah. the audience got some. I hope you guys got some game today. You know, um, that was awesome. So let's go down the list. Everybody, tell everybody where they are, where they can be found. You know, if you have websites, if you have Instagram or Twitter, where are you at, Chris K from the Bay? You guys. <laughs> you wait, guys wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna do What's something up? different. Hold on. I'm gonna tell you in a minute. Okay. Uh, hold on, Amber. Let's start with you. Where are you from? Where are you at? And uh, where can people follow you? So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Amber Sherelle, so A-M-B-E-R-S-H-A-R-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And that's pretty much where I am. So my Instagram, like, my Instagram is like totally for something else. Like it's, I have a website and it's totally for that. So Twitter's <laughs> best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, what about you, Regina? My name is basic on all social media, which is pretty much just Instagram and Twitter. So it's at Regina Hoyles. And my last name is H-O-Y-L-E-S. So. Yep, that's, and that's my website too. Nice. All right. Um, I just use Instagram. <laughs> and it's uh, <laughs> at Italome305, which for people who don't know, that's a Miami area code. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid girl. So, Chris, here's yes. what I'll, I'll put you on the spot right quick. That's okay. what I do. I like to do that shit. Uh -huh. So, look, give us your, give us your, your information. If you have your website for your books, promote whatever the fuck you want right now. Blast that <laughs> shit. And then I okay. want you to take us home. Get Sunday. Give us a little gospel something. Give us a little okay. something. Okay, I got y'all. Mm. You guys can find me on IG and Twitter at she is Chris K. That's she is K-R-Y-S-K. -K. Come and, uh, you know, get at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm, I'm going to take us out. I'm going to take us out with a little, oh, how I love Jesus. All right, Sorry. give it to us. <laughs> Just look. Yeah, it's Sunday. <laughs> oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Thank you, Chris. That was beautiful. That was yes. beautiful. So anyway, y'all know how we do it on the red room. Uh, did I say you, Lisa? Where you at, Lisa? God damn, I'm oh, tripping. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> on what fresh show is this on uh, Twitter? I'm on IG. Uh, I think on what fresh show is this, Lisa, on IG? I haven't been on IG in forever. <laughs> It's true. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Hilliard Guest. You can follow the show, ScreenwritersRR, on Twitter. Any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, St Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to. We are oh, everywhere. Dope. Yes, please give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics, um, stuff like that. Um, we have a Patreon page. You guys can donate $5.00. $2, $100, whatever y'all yeah. need to help the show. We appreciate it. Um, stuff like that. Chris Derrick will be back next week. And uh, we're going to be talking to um, um, a gaggle. Not a gaggle. That's a negative word. <laughs> a group. A gaggle of geese? I was going to say, is it a gaggle <laughs> of geese? Forgive me, that did not sound right. Um, I apologize. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, a few trans and non-binary writers yes. next week. Awesome. Yes. So that should be, that should be fun. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, y'all, everybody joining me for Wakanda forever. Y'all know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, y'all? 
Wakanda forever. Yeah. Yes. yeah. This will be dropping tomorrow, by the way. Yes. Peace. Peace, people. Stay good. Stay safe. You're Get welcome. your writing. Get your writing. Yes. <laughs> ciao, ciao. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. You're pinning words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.